I'm Pastor Michael Ansman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. I'd like to welcome you and to thank you for listening to our Sunday morning sermons. I hope that they're a blessing to you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. So when I was a kid, I knew someone who liked to give away watches. Not, not just any watch, but, but this person... Uh, would go to New York. And if you ever remember New York back in the day, it wasn't quite a great place. And if you remember Canal Street in particular, that was sort of the place where you could get counterfeit watches and, and things like that. And so that's what he would do. He would go to Canal Street and he would go and he would buy a bunch of, of watches and then he would give them out as gifts. And uh, the particular brand that he bought was called Tag Heuer. Tag Heuer. Now when he gave them out, the people knew like he told them, he's like, this is, this is obviously, you know, he, didn't, he wasn't trying to fool anybody. He was just giving them out as gifts uh, because he had a lot of international friends and some of them may not have been able to have a watch or, or something like that. So he would give them out as gifts. And a friend of mine, uh, an old family friend of mine got one and he may still have it today. So if uh, Pastor Mark, you're listening to this, please uh, email me. Let me know if you still have that tag, that fake tag my dad uh, gave you. Whoops, I just said it was my dad instead of, a, oh, it's all right. <laughs> but here's the thing. The, the real Tag Heuer watches are super expensive. They run up into thousands of dollars. And the fake Tag Heuer watches, well, they weren't. They were only a couple of bucks. But they were still watches. They looked like Tag Heuer watches. They still told the time. They even still gave the dates. But they weren't made by Tag Heuer, right? So the quality was not as high. And, and after some time, they would scuff and break pretty easily. I remember I had a, a few myself. And this type of counterfeiting was and is still big business because it's cheaper to look like you're wearing a luxury brand item than to actually wear a luxury brand item. Rival watches to counter the genuine article. This came into my mind this week, particularly after the writing uh, in DC. And you'd be like, what? How did, stick with me, okay. So let's come right out and say that this act uh, was wrong, right? This act was heinous, and as I said at the opening of the servant, violent writing writing is inexcusable. And um, the right-wing version of something that's been happening all year uh, should not be excused, nor should those who organized it or participated in it be spared from the consequences of their actions. And I I feel like as a nation, COVID has accelerated something. You know, we've had this increasing inability to be able to talk to one another and people of differing uh, opinions uh, being able to have rational and even friendly conversations with one another. I think we've, we've kind of lost that, that ability because having a difference of opinion is seen as, uh, uh, as hatred or, or oppression uh, against uh, the other person. And um, the ongoing dehumanization of each other spurned on by various media media outlets and political factions have weighed very heavily on my heart this past year. And I confess to you, brothers and sisters, it's made me a little bit fearful of of what may or may not be coming and how we as a church should prepare uh, and even function. And, And so today, this sermon called Baptism and its Rivals, it's going to serve as an introduction to a new series called The Church Is Slash Is Not. Uh, And hopefully, we can navigate some of these issues together. 
So in the reading from Acts, we get a story of St. Paul in Ephesus and his encounter with the disciples or the followers of St. John the Baptizer. Now, he's been dead for a long time, right? We remember St. John was beheaded by, by Herod for saying, hey, Herod, not a good idea for you to, like, steal your brother's wife. I'm just saying. And Herod's like, you're in jail, buddy. And then he had his head cut off for standing up against wickedness. And so it's, it's, it's interesting, though, right, to see that his followers had spread as far as Ephesus. But it's not completely surprising, right, given John's mission in preparing for the coming of Christ was, was all about preaching repentance and baptizing those who sought repentance. And, and Jews from all over the world, the diaspora, right, they, they may have been in the area of Jerusalem at different times for uh, going to fulfill their obligations to the temple. So it made sense, right, that he would have some followers who may have left Judea before the ministry of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And St. Paul comes across like this little small pocket. There's 12 of them. Interesting, right? How many apostles are there? 12. There's 12 disciples of John. They received the Holy Spirit in the same way that the apostles of, of Christ did in, in the upper room. St. Paul comes across them and says to them, hey, did you receive the Holy Spirit? And they looked at each other and then back at Paul and they scratched their head like I'm doing now and they said, uh, what? Uh, what's the Holy Spirit? We've never even heard of the Holy Spirit. What's, what's this all about? He finds out that they were baptized by John, linking John's baptism with John's own words about his mission to testify to Jesus. Now, what happened? They get baptized again, right? Because there's a difference between the baptism of John and the baptism of Jesus. And when St. Paul lays his hands on them, something we still do to this day, when people are received into the church and are baptized, they received the Holy Spirit. And this is evidenced by their speaking in tongues. Now, it's probably worth noting that when you see speaking in tongues in the New Testament, this is a specific reference to speaking actual human languages that are not known. This is what tongues is. A lot of confusion around that. So I thought I'd just drop that in there for free, even though that's not the point of today. And when we read the New Testament, we see this a few times, and you may have family members who think this is an experience that all Christians are supposed to have. But this language is going on here is linking these 12, right, with the receiving of the Holy Spirit of the apostles in the upper room. There was, I think, 120 people in the upper room when Pentecost came. But in that upper room were the 12 apostles. Now you have these 12 followers of John. They're receiving the same Holy Spirit. So the experience of receiving the Spirit is the same to show that this is the same Holy Spirit at work and preparing them for Christ in the way that those in the upper room were prepared for Christ and followed Christ. It links these Jewish believers to the experience of the apostles and those in the upper room. Now, I'm going to stretch, I'm, I'm, I'm letting you know beforehand, right, what I'm going to do. I'm going to stretch this story a bit to kind of make a point that ties in with what I said in, in my introduction. So bear with me and uh, um, just bear with me. So let's do a, a thought experiment. What if the followers of John said to St. Paul, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. We don't believe in that. What if they refused his message thinking that their previous experience was enough? When confronted by the truth, what if they chose to serve something else? And what if their baptism into John, although good, right, and although, and because remember, right, John wasn't just running around doing his own thing. You know, this Jesus guy is coming, so I got to build my ministry and get my newsletter out and my donors and all that stuff. 
John's purpose was to prepare people for the coming of Christ, right? They're not at rival, they're not at odds with one another, you know? And so, but what if that divinely ordained mission, what if that good message kept them from converting to Christ? And keep in mind, right, like I said, the message was holy and divine, but it pointed to someone else, someone whose shoes John was not worthy to tie. It was a beautiful, wonderful message. It was something that they could live by, but it wasn't complete. There was something else just beyond that that they didn't even know about. And imagine also, brothers and sisters, even think about it this way. What if they had experienced the baptism into Jesus Christ and then made their way somewhere else, and then someone presented them with a rival baptism, say the baptism of, of John, and they left the baptism of Jesus to go into the baptism of John. That would be a regression, sort of a, a rival baptism. This is where I need you to stick with me, okay? Because I'm going to get a little bit, uh, I'm, I'm going to start dealing with a couple of, uh, of issues here. So we're going to talk a little bit about, so put a pin on what I just said. I'm going to introduce what I'm about to say with this. Okay, so we're going to talk a little bit about the right and the left in our country. And I know some of you are holding your breath, but stay with me. Okay. Over the past few years, we've seen the increase of virulent conspiracy theories, intolerance, and paranoia. And this is present on both the left and the right. We have to own that. There's no one side that's not experiencing this. The right wing has been baptized into Infowars. It has been baptized into the rise and fall of white nationalism. And it's also been baptized into what's called QAnon, which is a group that believes that a ring of Satan-worshipping child abusers is trying to take over the world and that the only person fighting them is the president. Now, I've seen this type of thing a lot all over the place on social media, and it's even infiltrated the church there are pastors inculcating this worldview into their church culture. And when you add to that the rhetoric of stolen elections, calling on people to rise up, you have the perfect storm, right, as reflected in what happened this week at the Capitol. Now the left. The left has fallen away, uh, fallen sway, baptized into what's been called critical theory, which, quote, begins with their conclusion, their own assumptions about power dynamics in society, how those are problematic and the need for their disruption or dismantling, and then seeks to find ways to read them into various aspects of society. This basically means everything is about power and oppression and trying to fix it all by trying to reinterpret everything through things like post-colonial studies, queer theory, gender studies, race theory, and so forth. So you have something that happened this summer, you have, which I've spoken publicly about from this pulpit, the, public, uh, the murder of, of George Floyd and the nonviolent protests that arose from that murder, which then gave way to violent protesting as that protesting was hijacked by agitators on the extreme left, spilling out into violence as reflected by writing in cities across the United States this year. So, and, and this shows up too, this, this being baptized into critical theory has shown up in the church as well, and to Christian theology as well. Both have been baptized into deeper, deeply different ideologies, and both are wrong. Now, let's talk about rival baptisms. I'm smiling at you a lot, so you still love me after this one. Okay, so I use the word baptism here on purpose. For us as Christians, we have been baptized into Jesus Christ. 
We have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this gift has set us apart from the world. I can't stress that enough. That being baptized into Jesus Christ has set us apart from the world. Right? When you read in the Old Testament about the assembly, which is the, uh, um, the Kahal Israel, right? which translated in Greek as ecclesia, is where we get the word church from. The assembly of God's people in the Old Testament is those who have been called out from the nations to worship and to serve God. And they're, you know, they're, they're journeying in the wilderness. They have the tabernacle in the middle. The people are all around. And then this carries over into the New Testament. Right? The church is the called out people of God. Baptism is our participation in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ where God's grace is given us, and our sins are truly and cleansed. And St. Paul calls this in Galatians, putting on Christ. But we have rival baptisms that pull on us, trying to lead us away, trying to, always saying to us, hey, put me on instead. Put me on instead. No, put me on instead. And these baptisms are our participation in something other than Christ and his church. And continuing with the theme I just started a little bit earlier, we're going to talk about two of these rival baptisms. Nationalism being the first. Now, we have a great myth that America is an outright Christian country. Now, it's funny, I don't remember when the Vikings first came here, because the Vikings got here before Columbus. Sorry, uh, Europeans. Well, Vikings Europeans, too. I don't remember, you know, Leif Erikson... You know, being lifted above the northern North America and baptizing the entire continent. I don't remember, you know, priests coming over and, and, and praying for all the rain, so it turned into holy water to baptize a country, right? Countries cannot be Christian. But America did have devout Christians as part of its founding. This is absolutely true. But we have to remember, balancing that out, the foundations of our government is based on the political philosophy born from the movement that's been called the Enlightenment, which itself is a completely bogus concept. Anyway, I won't go there. Many of our founding fathers, they mentioned God, they mentioned providence, but they were essentially deists, not Christian. Now, I mention this because one rival baptism that tempts us is the baptism into nationalism and extreme patriotism. This was on display this week as commentators and politicians use a word normally utilized by the church, speaking of the Capitol building as sacred space, as a temple, like the work there is being hallowed and holy. Now, the Capitol is important, and the work Congress does and the president does, the vice president, the Senate, the House of Representatives, it is extremely important. However, it is not sacred, and it is not hallowed, and it is not holy, nor is the work done in there sacred or holy. This is a hard pill to swallow because we've wrapped up the church and the table and the font with American flags. And, and not only nationalism, but the political process tempts us away as a rival baptism because in the extreme, it offers methods to transform human relationships through force of law. This is temptation for both the right and for the political left. This is a rival baptism, and this goes to the extreme of, of, of racism. Now let's talk a little bit about wokery. A rival baptism that influences the political left is the woke movement. This has long and deep ties that would take too long to deal with in a short sermon, 
But essentially, what was politically correct a couple decades ago has morphed into what we call now being woke. And we see this played out not only in culture and government, but also in businesses, particularly large technology companies. Now, remember what I said a little bit ago about critical theory. Now, so being woke is putting those critical theories into practice in society by trying to deconstruct everything to fit a preconceived idea about power relationships based on Marxism, which is, we all know, a re reprehensible system. This is done through the academy and through schools, which is happening, through violent agitation and through selectively interpreting the complex variables that make up human behavior and the relationships into being all about power dynamics. This is called, I call it wokery. Now let's talk about the term. Thank you for staying with me. All of these, I reference them specifically because these are rival baptisms. And they are tempting because they give non-religious and religious people a way of framing the world, a way of telling them what is wrong with the world, a way of telling them what is wrong with us, a way of telling them what needs to be done to fix it, and a way of getting us all to work to getting those aims accomplished. And this is tempting because we have fallen prey to the idea that truth is subjective. And these rivals turn good Christians away from what truly matters. These rival baptisms provide a poor substitute. These rival baptisms overpromise and underdeliver. And the sad thing is both sides have something important to show us. Patriotism, loving one's country, serving one's country is a good thing. And it's a good thing to participate in society and to work for the good of society and to love your country and to be proud of your country. I lived in South Africa for seven years and they tease me a lot about being American, and I love South Africa, but as much as I was ingrained in the South African culture when I was a young man, at my, I was still American, and I still loved America. There's nothing wrong with that. You should love and serve your country. That's absolutely fine. And some of the observations of those who are woke, they're not all wrong. Right? Racism has existed in our past, and it has manifested itself through structures and systems. And to some degree, they may still exist, even though we've become more aware of them and are trying to repair the damage that they've caused. There have been folks on the margins who have been overlooked and discriminated against. But to embrace both of those worldviews to the extreme we've seen on display baptizes us into something that scripture utterly forbids, which is idolatry. And today in the readings, we celebrate the baptism of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the revealing of the Holy Trinity. And Christ's entrance into the waters, we know it sanctifies all the waters for those who would follow him. We follow Christ, not nationalism and certainly not wokery. We resist the lure and temptation of those baptisms because all they offer us is ongoing struggle and ultimately violence. As Christians, we cannot embrace them and we cannot tolerate them because Christ calls us to live sanctified and holy lives set apart from the world. As our sins are washed in the waters, we are then to turn all of our allegiances, our country, our identity, our desires, the way we express ourselves as sexual beings, material goods, everything we have, everything we are is turned over to Christ 
because it's only in Christ that true and abundant eternal life is found. And rival baptisms are dangerous because they provide us with alternate versions and visions of the world. And these rival baptisms, they purport themselves to be the true vision of how the world is supposed to be. But the true vision of the world is not found in worldviews based on secularism. The true vision of the world is born in and through and from the Christian faith. I was talking to my wife about all of this this morning, and she said something that sparked this in me. The Christian faith is the vision of the world viewed through the lens of Christ that we are offered and what the world is supposed to be for what the world should be and what the world will ultimately become. And the hard part for us as Christians is that we are waiting for this world to become what it's supposed to be. Now, there's a sense we're supposed to work for the good of the world. We also temper that with the realization that the world is not going to become everything it's supposed to be, everything that God intends for it, until the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I throw all of that out you there. Thank you for sticking with me this morning. I throw all of that out you this morning to say, brothers and sisters, that we have been baptized into Christ. We have put on Christ. We have been converted to Christ. We cannot, we should not, be baptized into things that will lead us away from Christ because then what we try to do is those false baptism, we try to Christianize those. We try to make them seem Christian by maybe importing some Christian words and ideas, maybe in a reference to God and Jesus. But this is dangerous because it provides us with a false vision. And it ultimately both rival visions, all rival baptisms. I've only dealt with two today, but we could go on and on and on about others. But these rival baptisms, they lure us, they tempt us away from our baptism into our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we have to remember that as Christians, we are called to serve him, to walk with him. We are called to follow him, to live like him, to love like him to serve him. And so we ask the grace of the Holy Spirit to help us as a church and as individuals to resist these rival baptisms that tempt us away from serving our great God and Savior, baptized for us in the Jordan today for our salvation, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to whom is due all glory together with the Father who is from everlasting and is all holy good and life-creating spirit. Thanks for joining us for today's podcast. This is Pastor Mike Lansman, and if you have any questions about anything you heard or would like some more information about our church, feel free to email me, malansman at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Zion's Stone UCC, or our website, zionstoneucc.com. We have a GoFundMe set up as well for some repairs that we need, gofundme.com slash UCC. As we continue to navigate the fallout from the coronavirus, I'd like to thank everyone for their continued generosity. It always amazes me how generous you've been. And I pray that the blessings of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit would be with you and would keep you. Amen.